On June 26, 2003, Mohammed Saeed Al-Sharif gave an interview on Al Arabia TV for which he was paid $200,000. His answers were not exactly robust. When the interviewers attempted to draw conclusions, new information, or anecdotes out of him, he simply responded with nervous yeses and noes. This is very different than his previous public persona. You see, up until the day beforehand, the gentleman was the Iraqi Minister of Information. He actually had a very interesting career. Uh, Al-Sharif came to prominence in the Iraqi Arab Socialist Ba'ath Party uh, as a young man. He studied journalism at Baghdad University, had a master's degree in English literature, wanted to be an English teacher. He served as the ambassador to Sweden, the ambassador to Burma, the ambassador to the United Nations, the ambassador to Italy. He was the foreign minister of Iraq from 1992 to 2001. This is not a gentleman who was just thrown into the position of public spokesperson for the Iraqi regime on a whim. This was a guy with a serious government career, serious diplomatic ties to world forces. But no... Uh, Mr. Al-Sharif's position in history is tied entirely to his job as the information minister for the Hussein regime during the 2003 American-led invasion of Iraq, where he got the super fun nickname Baghdad Bob. You see, Al-Sharif was very much in charge of telling the Iraqi people things that blatantly were not true. In certain news reports... He claimed that American soldiers were committing suicide by the hundreds on the outskirts of Baghdad because they could not bring themselves to invade the blessed city. He claimed that American soldiers were nowhere near the capital. They were being held off by the forces of the Iraqi Republican Guard, when in that press briefing, you can actually hear gunshots and explosions in the background. The day before the final American push into Baghdad during that war... Our dear Baghdad Bob claimed that American forces were on the verge of surrender. Negotiations were taking place because they were terrified of burning alive in their tanks. Baghdad Bob became a very popular personality after this. He was all over the news. They gave him even more fun nicknames like Comical Ali, a wordplay on Chemical Ali, the nickname of former defense minister Al-Hassan Al-Majad, who created the chemical weapons program for Iraq in the 90s. His absurd proclamations that were so antithetical to the reality going on around him were baffling and amusing to American audiences. No matter what side you were on on the invasion of Iraq, you had to admit that this person, this clearly deranged individual who was going out and just blatantly misstating factual information, was absurd and someone to be mocked. When he was captured by British forces on the 25th of June 2003, he was released shortly thereafter because they realized he knew nothing, he didn't have any power, and the next day he attempted to cash in on this by doing that interview where that shell-shocked man decided he wasn't going to speak all that much. I just have to wonder what kind of interviews Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the rest of the Trump administration are going to eventually give. Because, you know... Things are getting pretty absurd out there. This is the show. Welcome to Republican in Exile, a 
half-hour exercise in self-torture where I, your widely unprepared and extremely anxious host, attempts to dig through another week of absurd lies that rush out of Washington like a Tinder profile written by a 14-year-old boy and aimed at college girls. I'm Matthew Hedge, and this week we're going to be going over a series of horrors and other terrible events that have left me oh so frustrated and caused me to drink heavily. This week I'm having a Sidra. It's a cider by Stella Artois. Why am I drinking it? Because it was the thing closest to the checkout counter at the grocery store. Listen, don't don't complain to me about these things. I don't have to do this. That song you are attempting to valiantly ignore that's going on in the background is Don't You Lie to Me by Tampa Red. Essentially a cover of the song performed by Chuck Berry of uh, Maybelline and Johnny B. Good fame. See, Barry took an old blues song and he gave it a rock and roll rhythm and, well, quite frankly, that's what we're listening to now. Uh, it's a great song. If this is your first time listening, I was once a loyal, devoted member of the Republican Party. I have a signed picture of Ronald Reagan, a signed picture of George Herbert Walker Bush. I've got more than one book on the history of the Republican Party. I once read a book just of George Herbert Walker Bush's letters. Not a biography, just letters he had written to people. Some of them are boring, some of them are great. But that's how deep into the party I was. And then the party nominated Donald Trump, and, um... Well, Donald Trump's not really a stable, smart, or decent human being, so, uh... I got the hell out of there. And now, since, uh, there really only are two choices, I'm a Democrat, and I am filled with unutterable self-loathing, and I'm doing this to try and cope with it. Ha! Every week, I go through a list of horrors and terrible events, and I, uh, I rank them for you. You want to know what? Let's just jump right into this week's horrors. Former Chief Justice of Alabama Roy Moore was victorious in a Republican Senate primary down in Alabama. This was one of those classic insurgent campaigns in which he took on establishmentarian Republican Luther Strange, who amazingly enough got Donald Trump's endorsement over the far more radical Moore. But Moore is a Trump-style Republican. He praised the president every chance he got. Moore is also so unhinged, he makes Donald Trump look like the aforementioned George Herbert Walker Bush. Let's run through some of the greatest hits of Roy Moore, shall we? 2001, Roy Moore installed, at his own expense, a 5,280-pound granite Ten Commandments in the rotunda of the Alabama Supreme Court. When he was told this violated the First Amendment, and he had been told this repeatedly before, he said, quote, I'm the highest legal authority in the state, and I want it there. When they told him he had to remove it, he refused, which resulted in an enormously long legal battle and eventually his removal as the Chief Justice. Because when you see you start ignoring higher court orders because you think you're essentially God on Earth, well, these are the things that happen to you. In 2002, he wrote an opinion on a child custody case where he said that homosexuality is a, quote, legal and inherent evil and a, quote, abhorrent, immoral, detestable crime against nature and a violation of the laws of nature and of nature's God, paraphrasing works of John Locke. Absolutely stunning. In 2003, Roe Moore was ordered out of office. In 2006, he wrote an opinion saying that Keith Ellison, a Democrat from Minnesota, should not be legally eligible to serve in Congress because he's Muslim, and Muslims do not have legal rights under the Constitution. In 2012, uh, he said that same-sex marriage would destroy our country in hellfire. That's a direct quote. In 2015, Roy Moore placed a video on his personal website 
promoting the conspiracy theory that Barack Obama was a secret Muslim and was part of a plot to force all Americans to convert to Islam. And then in the run-up to this election, he said that the politician he most resembled was Vladimir Putin. To make a long story short too late, he's the worst. And he just won a Republican primary in Alabama, meaning that essentially he's going to win a Senate seat and have a role in the world's greatest deliberative body. Now, lots of Democrats are saying that this is their big opening. There was never a chance for Democrats to win a Senate seat in Alabama, but this guy is so out of his gosh darn mind that maybe they've got a shot against him. And I would just like to remind you very, very quickly, that's the same argument Hillary Clinton's people made about Donald Trump. If you really care about this country, and I know this goes directly against the entire modus operandi of the show, but if you really care about this country and you're listening and you're a liberal Democrat, I want you to go and change your registration to Republican. In every single election, don't vote for the person you think the Democrats are going to beat the most easily. Vote for the person that seems the most sane. Don't root for the crazies to win. Root for a competent human being, even if it means you lose the election. Vote for someone who's going to be a decent legislator isn't out of their goddamn mind because Roy Moore is insane and he is going to be a senator. It is locked in. Crazy. All friggin' crazy. The official response to this from Doug Jones, the Democratic nominee for the Senate in Alabama, was to say, quote, the people in Alabama want a senator they can take pride in. They don't want to be embarrassed by Roy Moore. I will remind Doug Jones that, well, his state voted for Trump. They seem to not care about being embarrassed publicly by their votes. In other horrifying news, it has emerged that a recent West Point graduate, uh, during the graduation ceremony, had used white tape to write in the inside of his graduation uh, cap that communism was going to be victorious, and that underneath his dress gray uniforms he was wearing a t-shirt with Che Guevara's picture on it. After these images started floating around on Twitter, an investigation was launched by the Army where it was revealed that on that same social messaging platform, 2nd Lieutenant Rapone referred to current Secretary of Defense Mattis as the most vile, evil fuck in the current administration, calling the president a fucking medieval cold-blooded killer, and tweeting that he would happily dance on Arizona Senator John McCain's grave. This is a violation of Section 88 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, I'm allowed to say all sorts of nasty things about the president, but this gentleman is fomenting rebellion and is pro-communist while within the United States military. My real question is, how the hell did he get into West Point? You need a nomination to get into West Point, and to get that nomination, you theoretically should have a little bit of vetting. West Point is not an easy institution to get into. It's not like DeVry Technical Institute. You have to have a congressman on your side. I look forward to seeing how this plays out, and, you know, maybe some McCarthy-style purges because we don't have enough going on right now. Communism. Communism. Why is there communism? You know what? I need to move on. That might take up the whole show. It turns out Jared Kushner, son-in-law of the president, who somehow nepotismed his way into a job as a personal advisor in the White House, has been using a personal electronic device, not vetted by the NSA, and personal email to connect to world leaders. That's right. His emails... Emails, 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 dear God. 
The NSA has apparently told the White House that Jared Kushner's communications have likely been compromised, and Jared Kushner has, of course, immediately continued to use those devices without stopping them, according to reports from Politico. This is ludicrous. Apparently, there are no laws specifically against advisors to the president using unsecured electronic devices and personal email, which means Jared Kushner has broken no laws. But then again, he is putting our country at danger every time he, well, exists. But he's not as bad as his father-in-law, so I guess he's winning in that race, huh? It seems that Reese Priebus, before he was ousted as chief of staff, tried to get... Jared, Ivanka, and economic advisor Gary Cohn to stop using their personal devices because the NSA kept screaming about how they were going to be compromised by foreign intelligence services. They didn't, and then somehow Priebus is the one that ended up getting fired. Amazing. We live in an amazing world. Jumping to international news for a moment, in the Catalonia region of Spain, 460 people have been injured as the police violently attempt to stop a public vote. An illegal public vote, it should be noted, but a public vote nonetheless. You see, the Catalonia region of Spain decides that they want to be their own country. Yet another separationist, secessionist movement for us to worry about. The Catalans want their own country where they can lithua de Barcelona all they want all the live long day. The government has not given them permission to have this referendum, unlike the Scottish referendum in the UK. They wanted to have it anyway. The government has sent in troops to stop the vote. And now, well, just warning you, that's not going to end well for anybody. Uh, let's, let's avoid Spain devolving into civil war, shall we? Because that's the last thing we need right now. Speaking of the last thing we need right now, Speaker Paul Ryan and Majority Leader Mitch McConnell have laid out some of the goals of the new tax relief plan, which would, of course, put an awful lot of money back into the hands of some very wealthy people, including putting a lot of money into the pockets of President Trump. At least we think it would. We still have never actually seen the man's taxes, so we have no idea what he actually earns or what his tax rate is. It's all very, very, very confusing. But the Republicans have put out their priorities. Tax incentives for home buying, tax incentives for charitable giving, massive decreases Overall tax rates, trillions of dollars worth of tax cuts that will not be balanced by spending cuts. Because as we know, if there's one thing the American people love, it's low taxes and high spending. But that's not the last thing we need right now. Oh, no. No, 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 no. The last thing we need right now comes from Senator Tim Scott of the great state of South Carolina. Tim Scott is the only African-American senator in the Republican Party. And he was put in charge of essentially social media outreach for this tax bill. And he came up with a very clever way to promote it. He created a hashtag. The hashtag is Keep Yo Money. Keep Yo Money. That's how they're trying to promote this tax bill with Keep Yo Money. I like Tim Scott. I want Tim Scott to be successful in life. Tim, Tim, listen to me. Stop, Tim. Please stop. Keep Yo Money? Are you sure? Is is this really what you want to do with your life? Do you really want to be going around television with a Xeroxed printout of a hashtag that says keep yo money on it as the only African-American Republican in the Senate? I, I can't imagine this is what you dreamed of since you were a little boy. Maybe, maybe think of something better, something different, something that's not awful. Please, Tim, I care about you. I, I want you to succeed. Not in passing this bill, which is a monstrosity, but, you know, just in life in general. Well, I see by the old clock on the wall that it's time for us 
take a word from our fizzy bubbly sponsors. Don't go away. <laughs> Tickly. Mm. That brings us to the outrage of the week. Let's review for a moment the week Donald Trump has had from Sunday to Sunday. Sunday, September 24th. The entire day is taken up by Donald Trump screaming about NFL players. In a series of tweets, Donald Trump attacks the NFL for its policies of allowing people to kneel down during the national anthem. And I would point this out. Colin Kaepernick, and I did not know this before I started doing this investigation, uh, Colin Kaepernick started kneeling after discussions with several military veterans because he was sitting during the national anthem. He said he wanted to be respectful of the flag, but he also wanted to make his point. And these military veterans told him, well, instead of sitting during the national anthem, maybe kneel. Kneeling is respectful. Uh, apparently not respectful enough. Donald Trump really went after this. Lots of different NFL owners attacked Donald Trump. Jerry Jones kneeled on the sideline before the national anthem, then everyone stood during the national anthem in order to make a protest. Uh, generally speaking, a bunch of craziness that we went over last week at length. In Monday, Donald Trump continued to attack people in the NFL, and then went after North Korea's foreign minister. Uh, in a tweet that North Korea claims is a declaration of war and asked the Twitter platform to take down. Not exactly great. On Tuesday, Donald Trump once again went after the NFL and followed it up by warning North Korea of devastating consequences if they continue testing their missiles, that he will blow them up. Now, while all of this is going on, and here's the real outrage starting to bubble, there is a hurricane that has borne down on Puerto Rico. Donald Trump is facing accusations that he's not focused on that hurricane. He tweets out that he is focused on that hurricane. And then he goes back to attacking NFL players. His focus, laser-like in intensity. This is the same day that Roy Moore beats Luther Strange in that primary as well. On Wednesday, Donald Trump claims that the repeal and replace plan for Obamacare is on track, and he, quote, has the votes. He does not have the votes. Senators Collins, Murkowski, and McCain have all announced they're going to vote no, meaning that the repeal is dead. But Donald Trump insists that no one should listen to the news, so no one should pay attention to this. He absolutely has the vote. They're going to repeal this. Later in the day, when he realizes that's not working, he claims that the rules are rigged against them passing this, and he blames uh, hospitalized Senator Thad Cochran for the failure of the bill. Uh, not great. On Thursday... Donald Trump once again starts the day with an interview on Fox and Friends attacking the NFL, claiming that NFL owners are afraid of their players and that they feel they might be physically attacked by them. That's just super. Once again, asked about Puerto Rico, Donald Trump says he's doing everything. FEMA and first responders are doing a great job in Puerto Rico. Food and water's been delivered. Docks and electric grid are back on. Locals are doing great everything's gonna be it's gonna be fine on friday the mayor of san juan appears on television to beg donald trump to send some help because everyone is dying donald trump responds at first by tweeting out that fema and the military are doing a great job they've inspected every building things are getting up and running the governor of puerto rico responds by that saying that there are no such inspections and that most areas of the country haven't gotten contact from the military at all the number of people without food, water, and electricity rose from 44% of the island to almost 60% of the island in the two days in between those two messages. 
Donald Trump becomes increasingly agitated as the mayor of San Juan is shown on TV wading through neck-high water with a bullhorn, trying to find people that are in trouble, trying to get people help, sleeping on a cot. Donald Trump decides to go after her pretty viciously, claiming that the Democrats got to her, got her to say mean things about Donald Trump and how he's, he's doing everything and how these people, oh, these people... All they want is for you to just give them everything on a silver platter. Those whiny, starving, drowning people. Don't they know how difficult Donald Trump's life is? He's trying to go golfing during all of this. And that's right. While all of this is reaching its crescendo, Donald Trump is at his Bedminster New Jersey Golf Club for the weekend. He is playing golf while the island is being submerged in the water. When he says the mayor of San Juan, who was very complimentary only a few days ago, has now been told by the Democrats you must be nasty to Trump, and that, quote, fake news CNN and NBC are going out of their way to disparage our first responders as a way to get Trump. He's golfing. He's doing this in between rounds of golf. He's not managing this response. When George W. Bush flew over New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina, he got hammered for it. The reason he did that is because he didn't think it was safe to land. He didn't want first responders dealing with the president being on site rather than, you know, responding to the crisis. He then went back to the White House and started yelling at people about what the hell was going on because even he was a little slow on the uptake on that one. But this is different. Donald Trump knows what's going on. Donald Trump knows there's a problem. Donald Trump isn't doing things to make things easier. Donald Trump is playing golf all weekend instead of dealing with thousands, millions of American citizens on Puerto Rico who are in a lot of trouble. I have always been an advocate of Puerto Rican statehood, my whole life, essentially. I think there should be as many stars on our flag as humanly possible. I would like Puerto Rico. I'd like all 10 Canadian provinces in this country. Maybe not Quebec. We'll deal with that later. I'd like Cuba on side once we get rid of all those stupid communists, because that would be a great state to have, the state of Cuba. Who wouldn't like that? I want Greenland. We almost had Greenland once upon a time. That's a story for another day. But I think Greenland should be a part of America. I think New Zealand should be a part of America. I think that the dream of Puerto Rican statehood stands on a razor's edge at the moment. Because if you're Puerto Rican, do you want anything to do with the United States of America right now? With the president screaming at your leaders about how ungrateful they are while you're starving to death? If America can pick this up, Puerto Rican statehood, it, it'll happen. It has to happen. Puerto Rican debt crisis made it more likely than anything else. But these people are starving to death, and the president is yelling at them over the internet while he golfs. I very nearly started this episode with the story of Nero fiddling while Rome burns, but I thought Baghdad Bob was a better analogy. Donald Trump is insisting everything is fine. Everything's great. Don't listen to the fake news. Don't watch the news. Don't pay attention to the reports. Everything is going phenomenally. He sent out his uh, Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security to say that the media was focusing too much on the speed and volume of the relief. They need to focus more on that relief is happening. Ignore the fact that things are going wrong because we don't want you to pay attention to things that are going wrong. We've moved into the absurd lies that are easily disprovable by the pictures behind them phase. Baghdad Bob is standing there saying there's no invasion and there are explosions going on in the background. Donald Trump is tweeting out, there is no problem, the buildings have been inspected, everybody's safe, while we can see a live-streamed video that shows us the exact opposite is happening. And this is one of Donald Trump's big problems. 
Donald Trump is not accustomed to this kind of sustained insistence that he tell the truth. He's a bullshit artist. He can't survive in an environment where his bullshit may eventually be proven untrue by facts on the ground. And that is the outrage of the week. Let's look at some good news this week, shall we? Tom Price got fired. This is good news for one and one reason only. I was right! Last week I told you this was something to pay attention to and it happened much faster than even I thought it was going to. Tom Price has been ousted from his position as Health and Human Services Secretary over the ongoing controversy about his use of chartered aircraft and military aircraft to get to places that he didn't actually need to go as Health and Human Services Secretary. He's not the only member of Trump's cabinet that has this problem. Ryan Zinke, the Interior Secretary, has also taken private flights, and we already talked about Betsy Devos getting on her brother, the military war hawk, uh, Blackwater Founders plane. But this is a big deal. Tom Price has been forced out. Uh, this is yet another ouster from a high-ranking individual in the Trump administration. Price is out. Bannon's out. Priebus is out. Spicer's out. Sally Yates, gone. Michael Flynn, gone. Katie Walsh, gone. Katie McFarland, gone. James Comey, gone. Mike Dubke, gone. Derek Harvey, gone. Sean Spicer, gone. Uh, Scaramucci, gone. Gorka, gone. It sort of makes you wonder who's actually going to be left when all of this is done. Or if it'll actually resolve before Trump is gone. Still, Price's ouster shows that there are still some things the president is not willing to accept, and that is, number one, the appearance of corruption, coupled with, number two, abject failure. Price is the one that promised Donald Trump that he could get the health care repeal passed. He didn't. That made Trump angry. And then when he looked like a real jerk on television afterwards, apparently Trump had had it and decided, well, it's time for that guy to go. But hey, even a stopped clock is right twice a day. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. And even Donald Trump every once in a while ends up in the good news of the week section. President Trump repealed, or at least temporarily suspended, the Jones Act. A law passed in 1920 designed to protect American ports in the aftermath of World War One. See, there had been a bit of sabotage in American ports. The Black Tom explosion in New York being the most notable one. Largely carried out by German infiltrators who had been hiding among merchant marines. Now, this law was designed to prevent that from happening by stating that all goods going from an American port to an American port must be transported on an American vessel that is operated primarily by Americans. Teeny tiny problem. America doesn't really build ships anymore. We don't do that. Have you ever wondered why it's impossible to take a cruise from an American port to, I don't know, Hawaii? You can't get a cruise from Los Angeles to Hawaii because there are no cruise ships built in America, and that would violate the Merchant Marine Act of 1920, also known as the Jones Act. We couldn't get an awful lot of goods into Puerto Rico following this hurricane because goods coming from other countries weren't allowed to disembark. They weren't allowed to give their goods to Puerto Rico without first being transferred to an American ship in an American port and then sent back out again. Now, the president did say at first he wasn't going to repeal this because a lot of American shipping people really like the Jones Act. It protects American jobs. It's a protectionist law. And as we know, Donald Trump is a protectionist president. But after everyone realized that it was gross protectionism that was preventing food from getting to Puerto Ricans, Donald Trump quickly changed his story, claimed that this had been his intention all along, and temporarily suspended the Jones Act. That does not mean everyone's still in favor of this. As a matter of fact, there's still quite a few people that are pretty irritated about 
about this. Uh, Garrett Graves, a congressman representing Baton Rouge, went after Donald Trump for suspending the Jones Act, saying the problem wasn't the Jones Act. The problem was that there was a hurricane and logistical systems were destroyed, and that made it difficult for get, to get goods out there. He's right about that. He attacked the president and attacked the Jones Act simultaneously. Of course, Graves' major concern is that his district is one of the few that actually still produces parts for shipping uh, systems that are made in the United States of America. And, well, he does not want those jobs to go away. Also, it should be pointed out that uh, Garrett Graves has a name very similar to a villain from the worst James Bond movie, Die Another Day. That's it. That's all I got there. Moving on, how to look smart this week. Trump's response to this hurricane has been abysmal, and he continues to dig himself a bigger grave every single time he tweets about it. But let's not forget, he also has this North Korean situation brewing, in which he is continually undermining his own Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, tweeting just today, Sunday, that... Rex Tillerson might as well not bother talking to the North Koreans, because he's going to do what needs to be done regardless. Tillerson has reportedly directly engaged the North Koreans, the first Secretary of State to do so in a very, very long time, in an effort to de-escalate the situation. Remember, de-escalation is the only real acceptable outcome to this situation at the moment, unless you want, you know, kaboom, ah, help me, help me, to happen. It should be noted that a combination of disastrous military action and a hurricane with slow response was the thing that did in George W. Bush's approval ratings and led to the Republicans getting absolutely swamped into the 2006 midterms and then the 2008 presidential election. As a matter of fact, it was just after both a recent upkick in resistance in Iraq and Hurricane Katrina that George W. Bush's approval ratings first hit sub-40 lows, 37% approval ratings after those two events. It should be noted that Bush's approval ratings being 37% would be higher than Donald Trump's have been in months. By the time Bush left office, his approval rating was in the 20s. I would like to issue a public challenge to Donald Trump. I think you can do better than that. George W. Bush approval rating in the 20s. I bet you can get lower. Teens. Tens zeros. You could be the first president in American history to have no one like you or want to talk to you ever, ever again. I believe in you. And so does that motorcyclist outside my window. We have faith in you. Well, that's about all for us here at Republican in Exile. A special thanks to my producer, Jonathan, and to Acast. Remember, Acast, for all your podcasting needs, Acast, making good stories great. Hey, Star Trek, that's a thing, right? This week I'm guesting on Hailing Frequencies, Star Trek The Next Generation podcast where I'll be talking about big, scary faces appearing in view screens and why Riker loves the holodeck. Uh, It's fun. I'm having fun over there. It's a good time. Hey, on a very personal note, congratulations to Logan and Jackie for getting engaged. That's right. You charming, wonderful people are going to make charming, wonderful life for yourselves. You're so squishy. Uh, You know, just so long as Logan can figure out how to properly open the box the ring's in. Has he figured that out yet? Is he still trying to open it? I think he might be. Just, you know, it's the front side. Just take it away from him, Jackie. Really, just do that. 
If you would like to get in contact with us here, we are RIE Podcast on Gmail, RIE Podcast on Twitter, and Republican in Exile on Facebook. Send me your madness, your comments, your questions, your concerns, your queries, and I will respond with the most pure, unadulterated insanity you've ever seen in your entire life. Well, that's it for us here. In the coming week, uh, you know, do your very best to not die. <laughs>